Why do you wear that? You think it's weird? Kinda. Well, normal faces are weird too, you know? The way they're smooth, 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 and then, you know, all bumpy and holes. I mean, what are eyes like? It's like a science fiction movie. Don't get me started on lips. Like the edges of a very serious wound. That's true. But your head is still sort of intimidating. Well, underneath I'm giving you a welcoming smile. Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Well, maybe. Welcoming smile. Welcome to part two of our Frank episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP. That's our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So Alex, it's September now. You seem to have recovered from uh, your your health troubles. And I seem to have come back from my travels. So, so we're ready to tackle on more patron content. As usual, we're going to start with the ground floor, the $1 tier, the Travoltis. What do you get when you uh, pledge a dollar to the Contrarian's patron? Well, you get our cutting room floor stuff, like all the all the shit that Alex talked about Austin that didn't make it into this, this main episode. That's going to be on the patron channel. Uh, you also get our bonus episodes this month. Ryan, Spit and Polish Ryan, is giving us the movie One Cut of the Dead, and he begged me. He emphasized, please don't read anything about it. Just just go into it. He didn't say back or blind, but I know that that's what he meant. So, Alex, you've been warned. Just go into One Cut of the Dead blind, and then we'll reconvene in the Patreon channel, and then an episode, a bonus episode will be born to join the ranks of the other bonus episodes we've been doing for over two years now. Now, if you want to contribute more than a dollar, well, there's other tiers. Start with the Winonis, and you can go further up. But then you get our pre-recording notes. You get our QVRs. We're back on track, Alex. This month, we're going to do the QV- the dual QVRs for Martin and for Bones and All, which oh, yeah. should, be a, should be a fun time. One is a George Romero movie, and the other one is a Luca Guadagnino movie. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. <laughs> That's the spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contreras After Hours this time? Well, having recovered from my recent bout with the Democratic hoax, uh, <laughs> I was just like bed slash couch ridden. I would try to do shit and I would get tired. And then also like my brain was just really mushy. So I couldn't really focus on like I couldn't watch movies or anything. So I dipped into the fountain of youth that is the PlayStation store. And I found myself a few video games to play uh, for about the week and a half that I was really sick. In addition to one that I had pre-ordered. So we'll be talking about football game. That's what it's called. It's not a football game. It's called football <laughs> game. We'll be talking about the plane effect, which kind of fucked me up. <laughs> and then the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. I'm going to be talking about my recent gaming exploits uh, because that has been dominating uh, the past few weeks of my life. So when um, you say when you say the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, you mean it's like a game based on the new movie, like the Netflix one? Or I'm sorry, it's a brand new game. The game came out like two or three weeks ago, so that's what I meant by new. But it's solely based off the 1974 original. No Matthew McConaughey. 
No, no, not yet, at least. Who knows what the DLC will be? But uh, <laughs> And I have to say new because there has been a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game for Atari many, 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 many years ago. Um, and I've also been playing, yeah, like, shit was bad, y'all. Don't get COVID. Do what you can to prevent it. Um, <laughs> but I played a lot of video games, but specifically those three that I got during, like, the height of my illness where I was just playing, like, eight hours of games a day because it's the only thing that would keep, like, my, my brain focused on anything. Um, very excited to talk about them. I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game is basically what you would think it is, uh, but um, football game and the plane effect were an excellent use of $6 in a time of need. <laughs> uh, well, I I made an excellent use of uh, a few more dollars, a little more than 6 I went to the comic book store not too long ago. I Anytime we go up north, there's like a really good sushi place that we like that's up north, and it's so close to Dragon's Lair, which is one of the big comic book stores here in Austin. And so... Pretty much every time we go to eat up north and then we're like, oh, well, let's go to the comic book store. And then I end up buying stuff. And if I'm lucky, like last time I was there, they have like boxes out that are 50% off. So I'll just, then I'll go. just buy a bunch of stuff and not feel too bad about it. But then at the same time, I'm like, all right, well, I'm also, since I'm saving all this money, I'm going to buy some of the new stuff too, <laughs> just to, to, to balance it out. So uh, I bought the... I mean, it's not new. It's, I guess it's a new collection. But uh, basically, the Thunderbolts, I don't even know if they have a comic book series running right now. But back in the day, uh, it was a brand new series. And uh, it's kind of relevant now. I'm guessing they're getting this new collection of the of the old issues out because they're supposed to have a movie soon. And by soon, I mean sometime within the next two or three years. There's been rumors about it for a while. But... Uh, Thunderbolts, it's a, it's a series I've always been curious about. I've read about the characters in other comics, and I know the history, I know the big twist. I'll tell you about the big twist in the, in the after hours. Uh, and it's written by one of my favorite comic writers, uh, Kurt Busiek. So uh, we'll talk about the Thunderbolts. I, I bought this collection. That's the first 12 issues that basically set up the rest of the series. And uh, I'm pretty excited to read it. Uh, and then also I've been borrowing collections of the comic book series Fables. There's a series that ended a while ago and just recently got revived, and now they're they're adding more more stories to it. But for a while, it'd been just it ended, and uh, I've read the first four, borrowing them from a friend two at a time. And That's what the recent Spielberg movie was based on, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it had, because I'm sure it would have been a lot better. <laughs> uh, Thunderbolts, I, I can't go into detail here. I'll go into detail in the, in the after hours, because it's basically the, the details are kind of like the, the gimmick of the, you know, but let's just say it's just a super team uh, in the Marvel Universe that is not what they seem. But Fables, Fables is about uh, basically all the characters that you know from Fables, from, from fairy tales, from just stories that you read or were or you heard when you were a kid, you know, all those characters together, they've migrated into the real world. They've escaped their fable land, and now they live among us. And uh, it's, a, it's a really funny book. It's very creative. Uh, there's a lot of uh, political maneuvering going on in, in the new fable town. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And there's a big overarching story that I'm sure, you know, will run through the entire series. But having a lot of fun with that. Uh, so it's going to be a very comic book heavy side of my after hours and a very video game heavy side on yours. No movies this after hours. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoy. Because we talk about movies almost every time. 
Now, if any of that sounds interesting or any of the other things that we mentioned, well, go to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Look at our tiers and see if you would like to join the contrarian supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10. That's how it breaks down. Those are our respective tiers. Julio's gotten really good at the sales pitch there, breaking down the different tiers and what exactly they entail. So you get the idea, but head over, just start with a buck, throw four quarters our way. You know, there's barely anything left you can buy for a dollar, but you can get access to hours upon hours and hours of contrarians goodness. Clocking what, twelve hours with the low hand series, fifteen or sixteen hours with the Roxena Mega series, and you know, go all the way back to our first bonus episode covering blue is warmest color. That shit is all there for a dollar right at your fingertips. To all of our current patrons, God bless y'all. We love you dearly. We will continue to bring things like Frank your way because you tell us to. <laughs> because you you splurp down the money and say dance, and we say yes sir or yes ma'am. To any potential future patrons, as I like to say, we are taking applications that will quickly be reviewed, promptly filed with our human resources department and approved same day. If you're one of those that's listened to this spiel 10 times and haven't, you know, just tested the waters yet, what are you waiting for? Just go check it out. I understand our episodes are long and maybe this is enough for you, but who's to say you can't just go over there and download it and save it for a rainy day? You don't know when you're going to get COVID and you're just going to be lying in bed. (laughs) No shit. It's picking back up because we just acted like it doesn't exist. Um, (laughs) I kid, but yeah, uh, you know, go ahead and stock up, download all the episodes for Roxena and just kind of gradually go through them. But before you know it, WrestleMania will be here again. Download all the Lindsay Lohan episodes, and by the time you listen to them, she's going to be a fucking A-lister again. So, <laughs> patrons, love y'all. Bring it on. Bring us more. Because we do have some numbers that when we hit, more goodness is going to come y'all's way. But in the meantime, Julio, I think we need to put on our giant paper mache masks, helmets, hats. I don't know. What would you call it? Helmets? Yeah. I mean, it protect them. Kind of saved them. Yeah. The real question, Alex, is do you have a certificate? Just the way you like it, just the way you like it. Kiss me, kiss me, lipstick, kiss me, lipstick, Ringo, that's the way you like it. A certificate. Because <laughs> that's what he says. I have a certificate. Oh. <laughs> when when Son of Gleason tries to take the mask off. Oh, yeah. As the one I, I had, the Frank line that like is burned in for this movie that i'll think about every time is the montage of them making music and he's i think it's son of gleese and he's chasing after with a shovel because they're just like <laughs> recording different noises and he's going it'll be worth it it'll be worth it <laughs> <laughs> and i did read in my limited research for this that was improv by fossbender so that just makes it all the better even better uh all right well this is real talk this is this is frank no bullshit this is how we really feel. Uh, let's get the quotes out of the way, Alex, so we can we can have an honest discussion about this movie. So I have a few rotten quotes, and then we're going to close with Josh's review, of course. Uh, we'll start with Camilla Long from the Sunday Times UK, who says, I can't think of anyone who would want to watch a film about the creepy 1980s comedy act Frank Sidebottom, except people really missing Jimmy Seville. I didn't understand the context of this quote until you explained who Frank Sidebottom was <laughs> in yeah. Contrarian's Corner, but I figure it sounded unique enough that uh, it was worth calling out anyway. 
Um, I guess Camilla Long, not a big fan of Frank Sidebottom. You watched those videos, right? You said you, you, you sampled a little bit of that? Yeah, yeah. I was mainly trying to figure out how to pronounce his last name because I hate to butcher the source material. But yeah, I watched... Um, it was it, it wasn't really an experimental musician but it was definitely a character that was very similar i mean if you looked it up right now you would see that the mask is extremely similar all right well i don't know what to tell you camilla <laughs> to somebody that didn't have any knowledge of frank sidebottom i mean there's this is not relevant at all uh, next, Joe Bendel from Epoch Times says, Anyone who knows working musicians will be turned off by the spectacle of such self-defeating behavior. No professional musician would act like this. Wow. Oh, yeah? <laughs> who the fuck is Joe Bendel? <laughs> What's your band? What is this? Who do you think you are? <laughs> His favorite band's probably fucking you 2 <laughs> Bono would never have a melta a mental breakdown. You ever heard of Gigi Allen, brother? Or like, I mean, you don't even have to go f- fucking far. Kurt Cobain, like, it's Fiona Apple. There's plenty of musicians that have had uh, success, but also have run parallel with you know their their issues with it. And uh, to, that's a completely asinine review. And I try not to be nasty about some of these that you read sometimes, but that's. When something can be easily disproven or the thesis of such can be completely just done away with within 30 seconds of like a Google search, then it's I I will be nasty about it. So kindly go fuck yourself. So (laughs) next, Peter Golfin now shaking in his boots because he doesn't know how you're going to react to this one. Uh, Peter Galvin from sbs.com.au says the film's desire to reduce its cultural and artistic conflicts to simple one-on-one propositions gives the film a know-it-all air of superiority like it's the worst kind of rock snob journalism had me until that last line (laughs) I think Peter's a snob here what what is this simple one-on-one propositions also that guy I'm sorry I'm Axl Rose had numerous meltdowns on stage. <laughs> Joe Bendel was trying to exit the room quietly. He just grabbed him by the neck and brought him back in. You know what else? <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to close with Anders Wright from the San Diego Union Tribune, who says... <laughs> More like Anders the- wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, straddles the line between being a quirky examination of creativity and a distressing look at mental illness without ever truly committing to either. Boom. Boom. I think, yep. I think there's, there's some meat to pick apart in Anders' quote. But not before we check Josh's letterbox review. Josh says, Charming and heartfelt film that covers several themes like finding where you fit in the world, ambition, and mental illness. Despite some heady topics, there are plenty of laughs throughout. Lots to like with this movie. Four stars from Josh Ragland. So here we are, Alex. South by Southwest has ended. (laughs) We're traveling back. Well, no, we're not traveling back home. We are home. Man, that was... (laughs) Let's go home. We are home. That was fast. Uh... (laughs) That was a real thing, and I don't know how much of my venting, and I don't even know how much I'm going to have Julio put on the patron, but like, (laughs) 
Austin's Austin's hurt me so dearly, and I, I really don't like what the city's become. But but when I was in high school, in college, and even a couple of years after I graduated, South by was such a fucking big deal. It was like, man, there was a few years where that was like on par with WrestleMania as far as like anticipation, going, doing everything I could. And when it was over, like just the depression's too intense of a word, but the um, just kind of dump that came afterwards, the like adrenaline dump, the the kind mm-hmm. of bl- the blue, the cl- the cloud that came over you. I have a lot of good memories of South by Southwest. So when you say that, I can think back to some of those times of like when it was over. It's like, oh man, and just reflecting upon. Alex, if you hadn't quit going to South by Southwest, you might have caught Frank. It's five minutes that he was on stage. Yeah, man. The makeup and everything. <laughs> Do you think it captures... I don't. Okay, so we know it's not really Austin and it's not really South by Southwest, but does it capture the energy of South by Southwest? Okay, so as, as I remember it, and I like kind of hold to my heart, no. But... It does do a good job of establishing immediately that it's a big deal. And it's like, hey, this is, you know, an opportunity, which it is. It's, and I, I don't, again, I don't know how it operates anymore, but it still very well could be just like a potential springboard. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the way it's sold. And I mean, in theory, the way it's presented, it's right. It's like a, you go to the fucking convention center, you check in. And if you play the right cards, you can get a big showcase show and you can be put in a position to, make an impact i think it it's kind of cutesy and it clearly with all like the south by banners and all that shit it's it could have been anything else and probably would have like annoyed me as much now don't get me wrong in no way did it bother me enough to take me out of the movie at all it was more kind of just like me being snide and taking notes down of like this it, it looks nothing like austin but again if you're living in fucking uh saskatoon you have no idea <laughs> idea what it looks like so it really doesn't matter but it is like if you have been to austin and think that you know brick architecture and and the way those streets are like laid out you'd be like what the fuck has this person (laughs) ever been to austin (laughs) to answer your question it does a good enough job of establishing that it's a big deal and also it led to one of my biggest laughs of the whole movie when son of gleason's explaining the concept to frank and everybody and he says why is the number two two three seven five one at the bottom and he's like that's the amount of people that watch it he goes two three seven five one people have watched this <laughs> yeah just to close this South by southwest thing uh like i said i don't have much experience with the musical side of it although i i mean i know of it and i know i i think i have a pretty good idea of the tone of it uh mainly because I equate it to the tone of the film side of it. And the film side of it is always, you know, the movies that play South by Southwest are the quirky experimental ones, as opposed to the movies that play at the Austin Film Festival, for example, right? If you're submitting to one or the other, you you have to know which one, like what kind of movie you have and where you would have a bigger, uh, a better chance of, of getting in. So if Frank, if the band that Frank has was a movie, then yeah, it would belong in the movie side of South by Southwest. So that's why I'm like, yeah, of course it belongs in the musical side of South by Southwest. That's that's the only thing that I had, you know, other than as far as 
them walking around and interacting with people. I'm like, I, I guess it's that's more generic, you know. I didn't see any barbecue anywhere, and or, or any dosekis. That's really that you were right to call that out. That scene is such bullshit. When they're walking down the street and everyone's like, oh, there's that guy fucking <laughs> juggling. It, it, <laughs> look, for better or for worse, even today, there's certain parts of Austin that if a group of people were walking around and one of them had a mask on like that, people wouldn't bat an eye. So in this movie, like it, they, they treat it like the scene in fucking Elizabethtown when uh, Kirsten Dunst comes out of the elevator the next morning. They're all like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, enough of uh, fake Austin. <laughs> it just it just needed to be discussed. <laughs> Let's talk about, about about Frank. Frank the movie. Frank the character. Frank the fastbender. How do you like the performance now that we're here in real talk? Is it luck that you're still standing? You've not been flattened too. Do you tremble beneath the gentle breeze? That's displaced by my shoe alone standing tough. The Frank Bender. Um, so I want to just start off the Chris Sivey, Sivey, CV. Uh, again, sorry, Chris. Uh, tried a little bit to learn how to pronounce your name and couldn't find it anywhere, but we'll just call him Frank Sidebottom. Uh, a very popular and by uh, some accounts of what I read, a, a kind of legendary figure and character in uh, England. So I just kind of want to put that on the back burner as obviously Julio and I are kind of out of our depth with that one. So I don't anything we say about Frank in this movie. Don't want it to reflect that. I do understand that John Ronson, one of the screenwriters for this movie, he toured with, Frank Sidebottom? No, oh, wow. He was uh he co-wrote the film and was part of Sidebottom's band. And the plot began as an adaptation of his writings but later became a fictional take on it. So, what I'm trying to say is Julio and I are obviously not speaking to the source material on this cuz we're not qualified to speak on it. But the story of this movie and Frank, specifically portrayed by Michael Fassbender, is fantastic. Michael Fassbender again we're not telling tales at recess here. Uh, an incredible actor. And it certainly speaks to someone's ability to have a performance like this, where you literally can't see their face, but you can understand what they're going through just by their like body language. It's one of those things on paper. Someone would tell you sounds easier than actually acting something out, but it is so much more difficult. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's it's it goes both ways. I think people would say it's easier, but also a lot of people would say like, "Don't do this. <laughs> this is suicide. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is this is a terrible idea. You're going to you're going to hide the face of your star." And that is fascinating because Maggie, I mean Maggie Gyllenhaal is a big name, but Michael Fassbender is the star of this movie, and it does kind of make that last 10 minutes of it a bit more impactful when you finally see his face for the first time. Mm -hmm. But uh, man, he just kills it. My issues with this movie have nothing to do with any of the performances. And yeah, he just knocks it out of the park. And this is already after X-Men had happened. You know, first class made $350 million and, you know, shame and Prometheus, like in 12, 12 years a slave, like he 
he was established without a doubt. And to do this is kind of like a, you know, <laughs> the proverbial side quest is kind of a, an interesting thing. And uh, he approached the uh, producers to do it. Like he, like he found out about the uh, screenplay and wanted to do it. So that should show like his, I guess his vision as an artist, because Fassbender, like we've said, the, the, he has an interesting lineup of things that he's picked and really devoted himself to. But when he does it, it shows even in those X-Men movies, as bad as they got, he still is like rocking the shit in them. And in this, he clearly had a passion for the role. I know you said that it was it was you know you can't really imagine not knowing that he was there. And I I can't either. Unfortunately, the first time I watched this movie I already knew. Like I, I had heard that, that was that was one of the draws. And and I guess most people watching it probably knew too, but do you feel like the movie is is constructed though to to have a big reveal as far as his identity? It is. And I I'm blanking now. There, there's no opening credits, right? Nope. It just, yeah. I mean, it has a title, but that's it. And, you know, we've talked about this before. The last big one I remember is Matt Damon and Interstellar. And it's not like that was hidden. It, you know, if you, I mean, the internet's around, so you just go to IMDb and it'll be there. But I, I remember Interstellar when I was like, is that fucking Matt Damon? And I've told this story before in here. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, unless we're given specific instruction like we have on our next patron episode, <laughs> uh, I kind of look up and get familiar with the movie. And then, like I said, the theatrical poster, the first thing it says is Fassbender's performance is master class. But I could see if there was enough like if this movie was shrouded in enough intrigue and people didn't know that would have been so cool to be in like one of those, you know, first screenings or premieres of it. And it's a movie I, I I didn't do enough research to know exactly what the temperament was or like how it was treated when it was uh, premiering or like at the first few screenings. But God, imagine watching this and not knowing how cool that would be. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't I would never recognize them. You know, speaking German or English, it would have. I was about to say like to the end. myself personally, like my sister, I eventually would have figured maybe not figured it out but like had an idea you know and then when he unmasked at the end like oh fuck but then there's the other way of playing it because obviously when they were well i don't know maybe not obviously but i think that the way i see it playing is they they write the script not knowing that michael fassbender or any big name is going to be attached to play frank and and why would they right because the a big star is not going to want to generally big stars don't want to like hide their faces. Producers don't want to hide the faces of their big stars. So, so you cast the big stars as, as Clara and, uh, and John, not as Frank, Frank, you just have to get somebody that, you know, that's good at emoting without having the, the, the help of their face. But the movie could still work if you didn't have Fassbender in the sense of if the big reveal was not like, Oh, it's this big movie star that, you know, but what if, when you finally get to see Frank's face, it's just he's just a guy. It's like it's great that you it's Fassbender. Charlie Chaplin is Frank. <laughs> Back from the dead. <laughs> yeah. Or Bob no, Downey the, as Chaplin. There you go. Yeah. Uh, unrecognizable with, with his uh his hairdo from Oppenheimer. Uh, no, like 
I mean, there's ways that it could go horribly wrong too, right? You have the reveal, you finally get to that scene where you see his face, and it's somebody that completely takes you out of the movie. Like, I don't know, um, Clark Duke. You know, you're like, what the fuck? What is that? You know, it just it doesn't matter. And then you can go with the with the unknown, which I think that that could work. If you have somebody that is soulful enough that has that presence or, or you know uh mournful maybe because you don't you know they have like what two three scenes maybe to to really transmit everything that they have been transmitting when they had the the mask on then it could work but it's i just find that so interesting because i don't think that they knew that they were going to get fastbender when they were creating this movie and but they have to have known that the big moment is when you finally get to see frank's face it's just you know, for the audience in the sense that, well, now we get to peek behind the curtain. And also, obviously, for the characters, because they're also, they're finally getting to see something that they've been living with for, you know, so long. So the fact that then it eventually, the way that things shake out is, oh, well, you get this massive movie star who is a really a well-celebrated actor of modern times. And, and it's not distracting. You know, it's just, it works. It works really well. That's probably the the biggest, I would say the highlight of the movie for me, that when that reveal happens, it works. <laughs> and that then the movie still like chugs along for a little bit longer so that you can get to, you know, the final performance and everything. As far as the rest of the movie, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear what, what you have to say before I, I expand my thoughts. Let's take the fucking head off. I have a certificate. I know you have a certificate. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I really enjoyed this. When I was on Letterbox earlier, you know, putting in my review and reading people who, who I follow their reviews of it, there was a consensus that it, the third act, kind of is not good comparatively speaking. And I would go a bit further and just saying it, it just falls off a fucking cliff in the third act, not to the point where it took away my enjoyment of it. I thought it was very funny. There was some like full on belly laughs in this. I uh, wrote down it, it, it's not like any one moment, but there's parts in the movie when Fassbender's singing, he says fiddly digits and just hearing him <laughs> say that made me laugh. The smeared makeup on the mask when he's laying in bed and he like leans his head up. I, I laughed out loud at that. I thought that was excellent. The visual of <laughs> every time he has a drink, he has that giant red straw that comes out of it. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And then the part I easily laughed the hardest at in the entire movie is um, when they think they have Don's ashes and they're taking him out to the desert to spread them. And it's not the fact that they mixed up the can and it was, uh, you know, whatever he eats, like that inshore mm-hmm. thicket or whatever that's called that, you know, seniors eat. Not eat, but put in their water to thicken it to help supplement food. Anyway, he says, Don, we knew the desert was your favorite place in the world. Besides, of course, SeaWorld San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to say that the first couple of times that he throws the ashes up, they fly all the way towards the, the French guy, uh, Baroque. I think that's his name. Like, it's not the oh, camera doesn't like, focus. It's in the background, but he just keeps he's getting kind of like. He's trying to kind of like, uh, like inconspicuously get him off of him. Like he's yep. just trying to like, you know, not try to draw attention to himself. Yeah, it's excellent. Very funny. And uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is really good in this too. She's 
she's we've talked about numerous times on here it's always like is she good or does she just do the same thing every time (laughs) and here she's really really good but still falls in that category of is she just being maggie is she the same girl that was in you know uh crazy heart is this uh rachel dawes rachel dawes i was trying to think of the name thank you very much but it's very funny the third act it like i was i was ready for like a um almost to uh shout out one of our patrons i was kind of thinking this was going to go the way of bad boy bubby to a certain extent in the in the sense of this kind of weird uh really kitschy artist takes off and becomes beloved by all um obviously bad boy bubby has a much more fucked up tone than this does but um <laughs> that's kind of the idea he you know he starts doing music and it's really weird and experimental and people take to it and here i kind of thought that's where it was going to go and in the third act where it was like uh, before it gets to the third act thought the my, my idea of like art can be anything anyone you know and art can change the world and the way people see others and the way people interpret what is good and what's not. And, you know, it can come from anywhere. Inspiration can come from anywhere. And then for it to just kind of turn around in the end to be like, no, he's just a guy that has mental health issues, which is not a subject that's not worth shining light on. Don't get me wrong, but it kind of felt like the tone of the first and second act of this movie were way way different than the third and for it to end with them just kind of like reuniting with son of gleason leaving to where nothing's really been learned i mean you can make the argument that you know he helped him in the end or some shit but (laughs) i thought there was a chance to make a movie about art and success coming in the most unexpected of ways or even there was an opportunity to make a movie about this weird like cult figure in Frank before it to end the way it did was just it was it was too real it was too real life for the movie that we had spent the previous 70 minutes with but do you think it's because I don't think it's a sad ending and uh, you know what I mean like it's not they don't crush it at South by Southwest and they don't become a big deal but the fact that they're reunited and that they're reunited with him not wearing the mask, I think that shows that they are moving forward in a different way, but but they're still moving forward, you know? It's like, I think if the movie ended with him wearing the mask and then playing again, I would probably be a little more mixed about it because then I would feel like, okay, we just came full circle and I'm not sure that I like what that means. But the fact that they... Somehow he's found the the you know he's moved past the need to 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 wear the mask and he's comfortable you know he he I guess he's kind of pushed by sort of Gleason to to come reunite with the band and then they embrace him and they start singing together I mean that is it's a low key happy ending but I think it's still a happy ending or, or you know something that shows growth and and it's growth also on the part of of General Hux because he. He leaves, you know, and I think that that's actually that's what I enjoyed the most about that that journey, you know, when he finally comes to terms with the fact that he was really invested in Frank's success because deep down he knew that that's the only way that he would be successful because he's not that good, 
But if he attaches himself to this guy and this guy is successful, then then he can make it. And for him to finally acknowledge that and say it out loud to them and then bring them all back together and make the decision to leave because he knows that he's he just doesn't belong there. He's he's kind of a fraud. And I don't remember. I know that the first time I watched this movie, I was very thrown off by the ending. And then this time, because I remembered that it ends with them reuniting and singing along. I didn't remember that he leaves, that that son of Gleason leaves. But then watching it the second time, I was like, man, he's such an asshole. I mean, he's funny and he's he's very charismatic. And I was no I had no problem following him. But he is very like self-centered and very like presumptuous about his talent. And uh I didn't think, and especially once they go to they return to America and the way that he slowly, uh, maybe even casually, is trying to take control of the band and, and direct their their destiny and all that stuff. He he was. I didn't think that he was a good person. I think that that was kind of the movie was showing us how he was he was being corrupted by you know in a way the power that he was he was given once they got to South by Southwest and so I have zero problems with him walking away, like acknowledging, oh shit, I, I really fucked up and the best thing I can do is just walk away. So I, I actually like the ending a lot. I I think I like it now more than I did the first time, even though the first time didn't keep me from from really enjoying the movie uh, overall. So I have that reading of it where I don't, I don't think that it's just like, what's that thing that you say? What did we learn, Palmer? What did we learn, Palmer? Yeah, I think I think I can tell Palmer what we learned, or or as Palmer, I can tell you what we learned. We learned that uh, that sometimes not everybody's ready at the same time. You know, that's the the reason that they fail at South by Southwest is not because they're not talented. It's because they push Frank, somebody who's clearly has some issues. You know, they push him to the spotlight when he's not ready, and uh, they do it out of greed. I mean the. the some of Gleason, you know, calling those shots and calling them wrong. So my issue with the movie, as it were, is just more a little bit of what you were saying, like that the mental health aspect, it's, and I don't think it's an issue now. Like, I think it was an issue the first time I watched it. And now I'm just more ambivalent about it because I feel like it meshes a little better uh, on rewatch because again, watching it from the beginning, knowing what the deal is with Frank, knowing that, this is just a guy that uses the mask as a as a coping mechanism, right? And that there's I just remember what he looked like when he takes the mask off. And so that colored the way that I watched this movie. And so I I'm just expecting I was expecting that. I I knew that was coming. And I could feel how there are people around him that really care for him and there are people around him that are uh using him as just kind of like this flotation device, like uh Dawn, right? He He's obviously very invested in the band, but not for the same reasons that uh, <laughs> the son of Gleason is. Like he, for him, it's just more like a survival matter. And then at some point, when they they finish their album, he just kills himself because I guess that's you know he can't handle that. Uh, so I, I see that undercurrent of like the mental illness from the beginning, and it stops being funny. It definitely is not as funny in the in the third act as it is in the rest of the movie but i think that it does it trades the comedy for something a little more meaningful and and i was okay with that the the fact that man that's like such a slap in the face when um 
General Hux has been fantasizing about how, how hard Michael Fassbender's life must have been to make him into such a great artist. And then his parents go like, no, he had a pretty good childhood. In fact, he probably would have been more successful as a musician if he hadn't gotten ill. I, I thought that that was a pretty interesting statement to make. Nothing happened to him. He's got a mental illness. The torment he went through to make the great music. The torment didn't make the music. He was always musical. If anything, it slowed him down. You know, there's this kid that that just is just idealizing the the tortured artist, and then there's the people that actually live the life, and they're telling him, no, there's nothing idealistic about being tortured and in fact like you know the bad things that that are happening that happened to our son like they were just bad things that got in the way they're not like bad things that made him into a great artist yeah that's that's not a statement that you see often so that's especially because you know he was he was always skilled this didn't define him like he was skilled before the yeah right right and so i i appreciate that because it's different from uh the, what I was joking about in the corner, right? Like the kind of like the formula for this this type of movie that's about a band coming together and you know how far they go before they they have to end it. And, and those movies, which I generally enjoy, like I enjoy the commitments, I enjoy that thing you do, and I'm sure there's several others. They have similar messages about the dangers of of success, of of early success, of not being ready for success, and uh, that kind of stuff. But this was this kind of takes a left turn towards the end, and instead of being about that, it ends up being about something a little more personal. I think just just the fact that they they forget about Savoy Southwest, and it's just more about okay, well, what's going on with this guy? Uh, I can see how it's jarring, but I didn't dislike it when when it happened. Yeah, and my thoughts might not have been well expressed in the sense of like I don't dislike the idea of the ending. I think the problem is. It's a lot to try to cram into a 90-minute movie that the first hour and 10 minutes of you were treating kind of in a comedic fashion. And this is certainly not Contrarian Alex asking for longer movies. You're saying it's a <laughs> it's a it's certainly a tightrope that you walk. But do you um, feel that it it rewrites the the rest of the movie once you've seen this, once you know you've you know, you got the peek behind the curtain and you got to see Frank without the mask and you you get a better idea. You get somewhat. It his definitely does. Story. But it also like I, I didn't mean to cut you off. But like my thought is um, it makes you feel bad for laughing at some of the stuff that happened. And it's like, well, well, then. Is the tone of this movie not supposed to be joyous at all? It was just kind of, until the ending when, you know, he's able to perform without his mask. It's um. I don't know. It hit me hard, like with those scars on his head and mm-hmm. like his hair's all fucked up. Yeah, that it hit me pretty hard there at the end. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is a shocking visual because it's you know those scars. I mean, they're and you know exactly what they're from. So <laughs> it's not that's not something that happened with the with the car. It's just because he's been wearing that mask nonstop. Uh, I don't know why it doesn't. I don't. It doesn't make me feel bad about what I've been laughing about, and I think it's because most of the time I don't think that we're laughing at Frank. I, I think that we're laughing. If anything, we're laughing at uh, John. You know, at uh, General Hux. He's he's the guy that's 
trying to make sense of this weirdness and and the weirdness keeps fighting back and and that's that's what's funny like the things that you know the 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 fact that frank is mentally ill doesn't really turn him into a a, a figure that you know, I can still laugh at the things that he says that are funny, like the thing with the shovel or the <laughs> when he's making them, um, you know, do all these weird sounds or like whatever games they're doing. I mean, it's just it is, it is funny too when they're at Magnolia Cafe, but it's not for legal reasons. Uh, when <laughs> <laughs> it's so good because those big eyes on the mask when he's realizing <laughs> no one knows who they are and he yeah. just kind of pulls back from the table <laughs> and slowly starts like going under the table it's so funny yeah well i think it's also because uh, he's also i'm sorry to finish my thought because uh i want to yield as much of the floor to you as i can the thing of him saying out loud his facial expressions is oh, brilliant <laughs> he's like what are you thinking patient smile <laughs> And like Jill, that will a, you please stop saying that out yep. loud? It's really fucking annoying. But there's a couple of times where uh, uh, Son of Gleason will reply the same thing. It's like, amused look. <laughs> 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 no, it's it's great. And I, I think that it just came to me that I, I think that the reason that I don't feel bad also is because there is a bigger criticism going on that I don't think is it's it's not invalidated by the fact that he's mentally ill. And that is just a the idea of of art and music and in particular and just how how silly it can be and how how just ridiculous it can be to create something and to try to find an audience for it and again it's just because of the point of view that we have because there's nothing and of course this is not my type of music so it is easier for me to say this but you know there's nothing in what they're doing that feels special that would seem to uh justified the way that that john feels about this band when he's like oh my god you're going to be a star like i don't get it you yeah. know like somebody like me i'm like that, that music doesn't make sense but it's funny you know because because there are people like that all all over the world that there are people that do that with movies with you know with music with food it, it's just the people that decide that they're there's something that deserves to be great and it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense you know it's just if you convince enough people you go viral and then <laughs> even so like later on when he runs into somebody that knows him from the viral videos and the way that they talk about those videos and the way that they talk about clara and frank just being weirdos i mean that is pretty telling i mean it's it's not criticizing frank and it's not making fun of frank it's making fun of the people that perceive frank the wrong way so i think that there's that allows me not to feel bad (laughs) about you know, if I also laugh yeah. about silly things that Frank does, uh, so I had a good time. I mean, it, it's I still think of it as mostly a funny movie that has kind of a, a very impactful gut punch of an ending. Children building castles in the sand in my town. Children. Uh, well, what about uh, General Hux? How how do you feel about Son of Gleason? Man. That guy is the bread in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so, That's so mean. <laughs> Matty Matheson, uh, you know, tremendous chef. He's always said you never want the bread to stand out in your sandwich. and But it's important is the thing is what I'm saying. And had it been a lesser actor or a lesser performance – you would have noticed if it was shitty, stale or moldy bread. You'd be like, what the fuck? Uh, 
look, no, I, I can't think of anyone whose arms are long enough to box with Michael Fassbender, maybe fucking Daniel Day Lewis or Brad Pitt. Maybe <laughs> like, you know, I always go to Idris Elba too. He's another one that I think of, but just from a f- pure like actor perspective. And then Maggie Gyllenhaal is in there and, you know, jokes aside, she's still fucking Maggie Gyllenhaal. And so this guy, the movie crafts it as such is that he is the unassuming character that doesn't steal the moment. And that's how it plays off. But to your point, if you're someone like you who enjoys the ending as much as you do, he succeeds in the end and he's the last thing on your mind of like, fuck yeah, son of Gleason. So <laughs> vindication. For exactly. Son of Gleason. <laughs> he yeah, he's he's excellent in this because the things you explained too about his like selfishness, he comes off as such a prick at that gig that they do. He's like so like excited to play his music and yep. he thinks this is his moment in the sun. So you don't cheer when he fails, but the movie definitely adds this wrinkle of like, well, hold on, this guy's you know, he's got too much dip on his chip here. He's <laughs> he's getting way too far ahead of himself and uh he's like leaving some of these people in the dust. To the point where, you know, I wasn't completely like opposed when he got stabbed. Not that he yep. got killed, but he got stabbed in the leg or whatever. I was like, yeah, he'll be all right. He'll live. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a strong triangle. Um he he plays his part well. And I've always enjoyed him uh whenever I've seen him in anything. I mean, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. I honestly I couldn't tell you anything about his character in the Harry Potter series. I just know he's there. But I remember liking it when I saw uh when I saw him in the Star Wars, the later Star Wars movies. Uh, and he's in a couple of... Uh, what was he Ex in? Ex Machina. Ex Machina. And uh, he was also in... Uh, I think it's called Brooklyn. One of the Oscar nominees from a few years ago. He's one of the the love interests there. He's in Mother by uh, Darren Aronofsky. Don't yeah, you love well, that movie? I don't think anybody should be proud of being in that movie. So, <laughs> so yeah. No, I, I like him. I like him whenever I, I see him show up and stuff and... I don't think that he's he's like a obviously a superstar right now, but I think that he's reached that level of notoriety where you can be like, oh, it's it's him, son of Gleason, in another movie. I'm in for a good time. I I trust him to to hold his own. In closing, I guess I'll just reference my letterbox review where I said dramatically falls off a cliff in the third act, but there's some quality stuff here, and I ended up giving it three and a half stars. And I also put in the quote, just like Paris, Texas, isn't it? I thought that was <laughs> that was like a really cute character moment. Yeah, um, so. yeah. Uh, Lenny Abrahamson went on to do Room, I think, next, right after, right? And that's what Brie Larson won her Oscar for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Room is a much more serious movie. And uh, I've never seen it because it sounds so like crushing. It is, but it also is really good. And it has two amazing performances uh, because it's not just Brie Larson. It's also the the little kid that plays her son. I don't know if he was nominated, but he's he's really good. So he went on to to do, you know, Lady Abrahamson went on to to do an even bigger movie. And I don't know if it's better. I mean, talk about like weird third acts. The third act of Room is also kind of a. Not a head scratcher, but it definitely it's very different from the first shift tones dramatically. Not so much shift tones, shifts like the way that the movie is playing, and it's 
mean, I'm not, you're not going to watch it at some point. So, but just say that there's a way that the movie plays for the first, you know, two acts. And then the third act is just very different. Um, so, so he's, he's good. And I, I'm actually surprised that I haven't seen any other movies from him because I remember knowing him as, as a director and thinking, oh yeah, this is somebody that I'm going to follow. And I don't know if I just haven't been paying enough attention or if he he just hasn't had any major theatrical releases or what, because Room was a while ago. And I just don't, I couldn't even tell you what he's done since. Looks like he had a uh, film in 2018. He's only had one other film uh, after this that wasn't Room, and it was called The Little Stranger. Yeah, and it looks like it was just a UK and Ireland release. Starring, you guessed it, Son of Gleason. Really? Yep. <laughs> I don't think Son of Gleason is in Room, so boo. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> that's where uh, if this was pro wrestling, he would uh, Brie Larson would take the wig off, and it would be Son of Gleason underneath. <laughs> and then you know we're giving props here to Lenny Abraham Abrahamson. I don't know why I have I have a harder time with Dom Hall fucking <laughs> Gleason. I don't know, man. I talk shit about, I give you shit, Julio, about your English, and I can't even do this shit. But the screenplay was by John Ronson, who we mentioned uh, with actual Frank Sidebottom did traveling with him and had experience with him. And then Peter uh, Strahan, mm-hmm. Peter Strahan had come into this off an Academy Award nominated screenplay uh, for Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. And since then has written. Our brand is Crisis, The Snowman, The Goldfinch, and Conclave, which is currently in filming. The Snowman also had Michael Fassbender, correct? Yes. It was reviled by critics. I haven't seen that's, it yet. Yeah, that's, I was about to, that was my next question. It's supposed to be bad, right? And uh, according to its 6% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, that would be accurate. And then John Ronson, after Frank, the next movie that he penned, uh, he co-wrote with Bong Joon-ho was Akja. Uh-huh. That's uh, Bong Joon-ho's Netflix movie. I've seen it. It's all right. Well, there you go. Julio, you have any closing thoughts here? Uh, well, my score hasn't changed. The first time I watched it, I gave it four stars. This second time, it's four stars again. It's not five because I do feel that there's a... That's why I chose that quote to close it. Maybe I will get more comfortable if I watch it again with the idea of, of I don't know. I, I can't tell you what the, what the correct balance is or, or if they did get it right. And we're just not used to seeing this type of uh, characterization, you know, uh, as far as mental health goes, there's a part of me that worries that maybe this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm enjoying it. I had zero problems with it, but maybe I shouldn't, right? Maybe I, I feel like it's not disrespectful to anybody that has similar problems. Uh, but if somebody told me it is, it's kind of wrong because you're not delving into what's really happening, right? They just they're kind of using mental illness, this unspecified mental illness, as this blanket reason why Fassbender is the way he is in the movie. Yeah, and so. That can get thorny. Rank it with my heart in the sense that it doesn't get... I don't think that that makes it a bad movie or, or 
even a difficult movie to enjoy because I enjoy it. But at the same time, because I have that voice in the back of my head, like I, I'm like, I'm going to stop at four stars. Again, it has nothing to do with me not enjoying the movie. It just has more to do with like potential reservations about <laughs> the depiction of mental health, which, you know, it's something, it's a charge, I guess, that you can level at so many movies that are not made as well as this one. And even some that are made even better than this one, probably. So, I don't know. If you have thoughts about Frank, let us know. But I, until then, I'm I'm sticking with my four stars. Yeah, so I went three and a half stars. We'll translate that to probably a B uh, in a letter grade. And yeah, I think I went a bit harder into it than you did. But I agree with everything you said in that last review you read. I thought it was accurate. Of, it all seems too simple for the story it's trying to tell and also like but then it becomes a issue of like well do i want it to be longer or not because the the kind of concept of it ran its course by the end of the movie mm-hmm. but it also is exactly like you said you put it way better than i could have of it seems kind of like an oversimplification and then also a um uh everything's okay again too fast but that's movies that's how movies are made it just was too tonally jarring for me to really get behind i was really really enjoying it and then it was just kind of like okay and i'm not saying that everything has to end up hunky dory happy and you know they didn't have to succeed but just kind of the the hard left it took was a bit much for me that being said Still really enjoyed it. Fossbender is fantastic. And it's a movie that I would definitely recommend to people to watch because Mattis rule, 90 minutes. And <laughs> it's a movie that will definitely inspire discussion. So if you haven't seen Frank, I think we've spoiled every singular aspect of it for you. <laughs> but you, you should definitely still check it out. Do you watch it on Hulu? I did. I did. In two sittings because goddamn internet went out right as Fossbender <laughs> was starting to sing. <laughs> yeah yeah me too minor commercial interruptions but overall it, it played really well here's a little song I wrote I hope you like it this was the best day of my life so that's it that's it for Frank Josh thank you for the for the demand absolutely yeah this was this was good hopefully you enjoyed the episode and now it's time to move on to well we're going from uh, one celebrated movie to another celebrated movie uh, i don't know what the score is for this i know it's fresh it's a classic alex it's double indemnity requested slash demanded by patron john keating my god <laughs> john bolo coming through john bolo taking us back to i don't know this is a, a billy wilder movie and it might be black and white alex <laughs> Brace yourself. What 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 was that supposed to mean? Brace yourself. I love black and white movies. <laughs> Have you not heard my spiel about how Logan's actually better in black and white than it is in color? <laughs> Everything is better in black and white once you've experienced it in color. That's how it works. Frank is better in black Co- and white. <laughs> Cody Rhodes losing at WrestleMania this year is ten times more heartbreaking in black and white than it was in color. <laughs> Anyway, double indemnity. I don't know anything about it. I, I I think it's some sort of noir. That's that's my my guess. That'd be right. in the John Bolo wheelhouse for sure. Good, good. But that's it, Alex. Get us out of here. All right, Frank's done. We know what's on deck next. Now we're going to move into perennial plugs. 
in which we will start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser is the man behind our logo, the, the guy that drew the little tomato looking at himself in the mirror. So if you like Hans's work, reach out to him on Twitter, or X, whatever it's called now, at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com, or you can check his website, mildemonios.pe. That's where he lists his novels. He's written a bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels, and he also has links to his podcast, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian career affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. If you're into the absurd world of professional wrestling, be sure to go to latenightgrin.com and tell our boys what's up. Tell them the contrarian sent you. Joe, Oracle, Rob, Matt, all the guys over there. They are so gracious as to host me once a month on their Grin Grappler uh, series and also on their own volition spread the word of contrarian. So we want to do the same for them. Latenightgrin.com. I am going to see... Some of those gentlemen this weekend in Chicago. Very, very excited about it. We'll we'll be posting on my Twitter account. And uh, I guess that's a good segue. I didn't even mean that. But social media, speaking of which, our social media team of Corey Ari, Zoe Perez. Corey continues to just fucking kill it with the editing of our QVRs and warm-ups for episodes. And we are so appreciative of what he's uh, continued to do for us. That rock and roll high school clip got us like 2,000 views in the first day. It was ridiculous. <laughs> And Zoe, a day oneer that's been with us the whole ride and helped out with our social media game along the way. So Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime. Our Twitter account is in the bumper. I guess we're going to need to change that pretty soon because most mm-hmm. uh, browsers have it now. It's no longer Twitter.com. It's X.com. I mean, I'm sure it'll always reroute, but we might just have to get with the program. Or just do we're due to record a new a new intro anyway. So that's true. That's true. Um, well, whatever changes, one thing that stays the same is our appreciation for Corey and Zoe and the work they've done for us, and most importantly, our love, admiration, and appreciation for you, the listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>